Hey everybody, uh, this episode I'm talking with Jonathan Tropper. He's the creator of the Cinemax martial arts series Warrior. Although martial arts is really just one aspect to it, as we will discuss, and it's also based on writings from Bruce Lee. Jonathan Tropper was also a co-creator of Banshee, which was a phenomenon on Cinemax back in the early 2010s. Jonathan also led the writing on that series, which is where we met, a good 10 years ago when I oversaw the marketing shoot content on the series. In addition to that, he's also an accomplished author and is currently showrunning season two of the Jason Momoa series C at Apple TV+, which is just about to restart production in Canada. Jonathan also wrote the next movie that Ryan Reynolds is about to do with director Sean Levy. So let's face it, I have no idea how he found the time to do this podcast. But we dive into All Things Warrior, which premieres its season two tonight, October 2nd, as well as the still passionate Banshee fan base four years later. You know, I'm still I'm still very close with a lot of the cast and a lot of the uh, the producers and and um, we hear from everybody because they know how to find us, right? So like, my, you know, <laughs> post a picture of my daughter, happy birthday, and somebody writes, "Hey, you should do another season of Banshee." As well as a look at what to expect for C season two. So here's my conversation with Jonathan, and for any new podcast listeners. Uh, to this podcast, not in general. Each weekday, The Wake Up gives you the Hollywood and media business news to know every morning in about seven to 10 minutes. So check out a couple of the latest episodes when you're done with this. Stick around for a look ahead at the major happenings in the entertainment and media business in the week ahead. But now onto the conversation and apologies for sounding like I'm recording myself on Nixon's secret tape recording device. Uh, My new pair of AirPods did not quite sync up to my laptop as best they could on the first try. So here's Jonathan Tropper, creator of Warrior on Cinemax. Warrior, uh, returning tonight, October 2nd on Cinemax, uh, second season. You yeah. uh, wrote and directed the first episode, um, set up kind of where we are going into season two here for folks, uh, and a little bit, you know, just a bigger picture about Warrior. I mean, Warrior is, is a uh, period piece. It's 1870s Chinatown, San Francisco. Uh, it, it's a show based on a treatment that was written by Bruce Lee about uh, 60 years ago, and um, basically about a young martial arts prodigy who comes over from China and gets wrapped up in the Tong Wars, the, the gang wars of, of the organized crime families in Chinatown. At the same time, you know, in a larger sense, it's about the systemic racism against the Chinese, the anti-immigrant stance of the country at that time, and, and sort of all of the politics involved in, you know, the Chinese becoming a cheap source of labor that sort of uh, became a real hardship for the Irish laborers, who at that point were the labor force, and the rich robber barons sort of profiting off the Chinese on, you know, in one hand, while at the same time, uh, the rest of the uh, aristocratic white people trying to get them shipped back to China. So it's a fun martial arts uh, adventure. And at the same time, it's, uh, you know, it's an interesting echo of, of our times today. Once you saw season one, when it was finished, what did you look at it and say, all right, season two, I want to make these tweaks or go lean a little more this way? What, was, you know, what can people expect in season two versus season one per se? Well, we were we were in an interesting place because you know we actually started making season two before season one had aired, so we we were in the unique position of not really getting a lot of feedback. Um, at the same time, you know, I felt season one was very much kind of like when, in a lot of shows, you spend season one kind of building the world, and and even though you know we we with Bruce Lee's name on our show, we had to make sure we had the highest level of martial arts sequences anywhere, which which I really do believe we pulled off. Um, but at the same time, uh, the show, even though it had a really strong action component, uh, there was really a strong sense of building the world because it was a very big world to build. We had to build Chinatown, San Francisco. We had to build um, the this sort of you know working class Irish sections of San Francisco. We had to deal with the the politicians, the police of San Francisco. 
and we had all these characters that we had to kind of develop. Um, and so the, the fun of a season two is that you've built all the characters, you've built the world, and now you get to just go have fun with them. But, you know, the playground's already been built. So now you just, you, you get to, you start to play right away. Um, so that, that's where the fun is. In general, though, we, you know, we spend season one really um, kind of churning all of the different politics between, you know, the San Francisco politicians to the San Francisco cops, to the Irish laborers, to the, to the, to the Chinese. We, we sort of stirred that pot into into a real sort of uh, uh, to a boil basically, and so the the goal for season two was we're not going to stir it to a boil again. It's already boiling. Now things have to explode. So I think you know season two is both a little more complex in terms of the characters, and at the same time, it's also a much more explosive season. Season two gets off to a visceral you know visceral start, I think uh, to say the least. Um, and you directed, wrote, and directed the first episode. Uh, so. Did you direct last year? That's been a while no, back. So no, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't direct in season one. I like to direct my own shows, but I'm not a uh, season director at this point. And so for me, I feel really confident going in to direct my show after I've spent a half a season or a season editing the show. Because when you edit the show, you really kind of, you really uh, establish what the style of the show is. You know the kind of shots that you like to use. You know what really works. So by the time I come in to direct the show, I've, I've edited so many episodes that I know exactly what shots I want. I know exactly where to put the camera. I know how I want certain scenes to play out. And it's not daunting at all. I've written the episode. I know the story. I know the emotional arc of it. And because I've edited the show for a while, I, I, I really know how I want the camera to work. Um, yeah. So I, I generally, you know, don't direct the first episodes of the first season. And no one's going to no I was anyway. a little surprised to see your name on, like, first yeah. episode. I was like, all right. Yeah. Well, well no one's going to let me direct a pilot. But when it comes to directing an episode, actually, the first episode logistically was the only one it made sense for me to direct. Because if I, leave, if I go to direct in the middle of the season, post-production basically stops. Because uh, I, I have to be there posting all the episodes. So the only time there's no post-production going on is when you're shooting the first episode. In seeing the first episode, I will say, uh, hands don't get treated well. Uh, was, <laughs> that yeah, was a, there's that, a few moments in there that really like, whoa, okay, yeah, you're uh, yeah. brought me back to the Banshee, uh, the Banshee first season a little bit with that scene, you know. With, yeah, uh, well, one of the things I've done, like Banshee also, but a a anything I work on when it comes to um, fights and violence is it's really important for me to make the viewer feel the pain. Um, like, you know, the, the term we use is consequential choreography. Like if a guy punches 10 people in the head, his hand is going to hurt. I was, you know, I, I mean, it's really painful punching people's skulls. You have guys punch 50 times, you know, skull after skull after skull and, and they, their hands just seem fine. And then in the next scene they go and play the piano like, you know, that, that's not reality. And, and so, you know, when, when, somebody gets, when somebody's hand gets hurt and you feel that bone crunching pain, because I think people's hands get hurt a lot in fights. I know, you know, the few fights I've been in my hands have gotten hurt. And like, you know, you can't punch everybody perfectly every time. And, and the thing that bears the brunt of it is your hand. So it's important to make the audience feel that pain. Well, mission accomplished, sir. Very, very, yeah. very well I'm done. Glad. Uh, so why don't we just set up, you know, for fans of the show, season two, kind of where we pick up and a few, you know. Uh... Yeah. At the end of, of season one, Assam was almost killed by uh, Liang, who is sort of his nemesis at a rival Tong. 
And he witnessed his sister, who's the head of that Tang, Mai Ling, give the order for Liang to kill him. And so he lost that fight, but in the end he was spared uh, actually by a cop who, who shot a gun in the air and stopped the fight. Um, so in season two, Assam is filled with a, a, a rage and a need for revenge uh, because first of all, he feels like for the first time in his life, someone beat him and that he was in a very vulnerable position where he was going to get killed. And at the same time, his own sister was willing to let him die and not only let him die, but was going to actually order his death. And so as opposed to season one, where Assam was just kind of learning the ropes and figuring out where he fit into the tongue. In season two, he's manipulating the Tang himself. He's on a very active drive to take down the Longzi Tang and take down his sister. So you see a much more headstrong and driven Assam in season two. And as a result, he gets himself into trouble very quickly. He becomes a bit of an entrepreneur in, in season two a little bit. Yeah, he decides that he's going to get into the opium business largely just to... Uh, it's a complicated plan, but but he wants to uh, basically get in the opium business to knock his sister's tongue out of the opium business and create a war that will give them the excuse to destroy the his sister's tongue, the long Z. There's a lot of dysfunctional family stuff going on on this show. So when season one came out, what you know, what reactions from people were you getting? Anything surprised you about reactions from faults, or what was you know your experience no, with that? I I was actually thrilled with the critical reaction to the show. Um, you know, kind of unanimously people understood and appreciated what we were doing because we made a conscious decision when we were making the show not to make a sort of sprawling, majestic, um, very expensive period piece where we completely recreated San Francisco 18, 1870s. We made the decision to create a more heightened graphic novel style world. And, and it's evident in everything we did. It's the way we dress our gangsters. It's the way we built our backlot. We built this beautiful Chinatown backlot, but it doesn't look like real Chinatown. It's got its own sort of colorful patina to it. So we wanted to create a world that is emotionally true to, to what Chinatown was, but that definitely feels like an elevated version of it, which would then give us the license to bring in the Bruce Lee Gong Fu fights. Because if you built a fully grounded sort of um, merchant ivory version of Chinatown, you know, the gung fu stuff was going to look really out of place. So we wanted yeah. to create a, a kind of graphic novel world where you could go into all the same issues of, of racism and immigration, um, love, rejection, sibling rivalry, uh, you know, family alienation, all of that. And at the same time have really cool gung fu fights. And, and it was really important to us also to, to have, you know, a significant, uh, Asian cast and, and to not fall into any of the, the tropes and, and the, the cliches that, you know, for so many years, Asian casting has, has done in Hollywood. Um, and so what I was really happy with was the critical response, you know, really got what we were doing, appreciated it, and really accepted the show for what it was trying to do instead of what we had decided not to do. Um, and okay. so that part was really gratifying. And, and you know, the, the challenge always with the Cinemax show is it's, it's a more limited audience. Cinemax is not available in as many homes as HBO and the other networks. The slower burn. Um, but I remember when we, when we put out Banshee, which was Cinemax's first homegrown show, it took well into our second season before critics started recognizing what we were doing and appreciating it and the fans found it. And I was really happy that, that even now in a much more fragmented television world and with many more networks out there, right. at least critically, the show made a big noise 
And, you know, the, the Cinemax fans followed it, you know, found it. I know that our numbers on Cinemax were very good. Um, I think, you know, other than Banshee, we're the most watched show on Cinemax. And, you know, we, you can't beat Banshee now because when Banshee came out, there was no Netflix, right? I mean, it was a whole different world. Seven years ago, whatever, yeah, but eight years right. ago, but it's a whole different time. Yeah, but the numbers were, were good for Cinemax, which, you know, by the rest of the world standards is still sort of small. But, you know, our, our niche market found us and the critics yeah. liked us. So I was actually really very pleasantly surprised. And I was really happy that for the Bruce Lee fans and for the, you know, the Hong Kong cinema fans that everybody really kind of understood and appreciated the, um, the way we were celebrating that stuff without trying to imitate it. And uh, yeah, no, I just, I, it was incredibly gratifying and, and uh, we were all thrilled to go back in and make season two. Of course you, you uh, are, the co-creator of Banshee uh, back on Cinemax back in the early uh, 2010s. Uh, and, you, you know, this, this series also, and I was watching it, different show, but you still have that great ability to, like, create those moments at the like, at end of an episode. Where, like, it's just, like, such a thing where, like, you just want to go on to the next one. Like, that, is, that has maintained where, where Banshee had that, you know, that vibe about it where it's just like, oh, I got to get see what's, you know, what's going on next. And, you know, I think uh, Warrior still has that kind of yeah, spirit I mean- to it you know, to a degree. I mean, what, what, we're, what we're really hearkening back to, and this is sort of the mandate of Cinemax when they were making original programming, which sadly they're yeah. not anymore, you know, but the mandate yeah. was elevated pulp. And so, right. you know, Warrior is actually considerably more elevated than Banshee was. And at the same time, though, we, we never want to lose track of the fact that there still has to be a pulp element to the show. And then part of the pulp is sort of you know, the, the in-your-face cliffhanger ending of every episode and, and those dramatic moments. And it's a lot of fun to sort of structure the end of an episode around that because it definitely keeps people excited and keeps them coming back. So, you know, it's been four years since Banshee went off. Do people still talk to you about it or what's, uh, you know? Is it- you know, obviously social media is an echo chamber. I hear from a ton of Banshee people. Out, out in the world, I don't know. But yeah, you know, what's interesting is since Banshee, I can't go to a single sort of industry meeting, like a studio meeting or a producer meeting in L.A. without meeting somebody who's crazy about Banshee. Like, I think within really? the industry, it was sort of a very appreciated show. And then the Banshee fans, you know, I'm still, I'm still very close with a lot of the cast and a lot of the, uh, the producers. And, and um, we hear from everybody because they know how to find us, right? So, like, my, you know, <laughs> no matter what I post on Instagram, somebody writes... You should do another season of Banshee with, you know, like I post, post a picture of my daughter, happy birthday. And somebody writes, Hey, you should do another season of Banshee. Lucas Hood and Job go to New York. And like, you know, people have it really planned out. So, um, but you know, yeah, I think I, the nice thing is up until really recently, the show was available streaming on Amazon prime. Yeah. And so because Anthony's become a big star with the boys, tons of people were rediscovering Banshee. And so there's been this new resurgence of interest in, in Banshee, thanks to him. And, yeah. um, you know, it's just, it's just a shame that it's no longer uh, streaming on Amazon Prime. You have to now pay by episode or by the season. HBO Max needs shows, man. I'm like, HBO yeah. Max, get it, to get it together, man. Well, my understanding now is, thankfully, um, after Warrior finishes its run on Cinemax, it's going to become available on all the HBO platforms. So, oh great! Okay, so, so I'm, get hope, that. I'm hopeful Warrior will get a great, you know, will be rediscovered by a lot of people, or discovered for the first time by a lot of people who didn't have Cinemax. No, that's the one benefit of this new world is that it's new to you, you know. So whenever you find yeah. it, you know, I did all behind the scenes work on Banshee, yeah. and we worked together for you know the whole season, the whole series. 
people knew I was working on it, I would be like, you know, this is great. You got to watch it. Yada, yada. You know, yeah. yeah, okay. And then, you know, I had people last year coming up. Like, Banshee is so good. And I'm like, the love is a love. It's nice to hear yeah. the love for but, it. You but know? that was my gripe, my gripe with HBO. And I kept sort of ringing that bell is that we live in an age now where shows can live on forever. Right. Yeah. And a, um, the downside is when you make a new show, you're not just competing against all the other new shows. You're competing against every show that ever was. But <laughs> right. the upside is that when you make something great, it stays around to be found. And I was just complaining to people at HBO that, you know, that's not true for the Cinemax shows, because unless you have Cinemax in the United States, everywhere else, it's fine. But in the United States, if you don't have Cinemax, you know, you really can't find those shows unless you go pay for them on Amazon or looking at that now and looking, you know, certainly I know for Warrior, we're going to get moved on to the HBO platforms. And I hope that if that's successful, they'll put Banshee on there and they'll put the Nick on there and strike back and, and all oh. the other shows that I, I think it's, I think they'll find that there is a great fan base for those kind of shows and it's, it's free content for them. It's already been yeah, paid for. It's all. It on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so speaking of which you are, you've moved on, you're working on some new, quite a few new projects really. So uh, what's, what's the latest and greatest uh, in, your, in your world? Well, right now, everything's happening in Canada, and I'm just thankful that everything's happening, but I'm in Canada now. We're prepping uh, season two of a show called C, which is on Apple Plus, and uh, we started, I, I wasn't involved in season one, I, I took over for season two, and okay. we, are, uh, we started, we shot our first episode and a half right before we were shut down by the pandemic. Oh. We are back here now, uh, prepping to go back into production, which is going to start mid-October. Um, and, and C is, is, C is actually, it's, it's a great big sprawling drama, um, with some action, but it, it's largely a, it's a post-apocalyptic drama with some action. It's starring Jason Momoa. Uh, this season we've also got Dave Bautista. So we're, I'm very excited to be back here, even though my whole hope when we started shooting season one was that we would get into the summer and it would stop being so damn cold. And now we've come back and we're going to go right into winter again. So the entire, the entire show is going to be in the winter. At the same time in Vancouver, uh, I have this movie I wrote. It's uh, Amblin-y science fiction movies being made by Netflix now out in uh, Vancouver. So Yeah, so how, the other Ryan Reynolds movie? So how uh, if you're going to be involved with that? Is that kind of on, on its way at this point? Or kind of well, well it, once, I'm assuming once they really start shooting it, my role will become a lot less. But right now there's still a lot of rewriting going on. So, you know, for... It's rewriting to, to sets, to production, sure. to stunt sequences, to different casting choices. So all that stuff. Yeah. So, um, so my day job is, is here getting C up on its feet. And at night I, I work on those rewrites. So yeah, you, know, you just have to yeah. give up eating and sleeping for a while and just, you know, <laughs> thank the Lord that you're working and you have a job. Yeah. Uh, that movie was kind of a long way in coming and kind of how did that movie with, with Ryan Reynolds kind of come about? Uh, and oh get, yeah. You know, it, come to being. Well, I wrote it seven years ago for paramount at the time it was oh, wow. at the time it was a tom cruise vehicle oh. um and so i wrote i wrote it for uh for tom cruise and uh david yates to direct and both of them then got really busy uh that was the point at which those missing impossible franchises really took it to a whole new level and suddenly paramount just wanted him doing as much of that <laughs> as possible and right. um, and then david went off to do all those harry potter prequels so Right. The, script, the script just sort of languished at, at Paramount for years. And, and I think then what happened, and this might be me reading into it a little bit, but the success of Jumanji um, got everybody really excited about making those kind of family type 
you know, Amblin-y movies again, where for a while those had really gone out of vogue because the, the wisdom of the studios was that the Marvel movies were the family movies, were the kids' movies, so we don't need to make those kind of E.T.-type adventures anymore. Um, yeah. But Jumanji proved them wrong, and so everyone started looking for these, these big four-quad family adventure movies. Hi- High concept kind of thing. Yeah. 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 So so I got the opportunity to kind of do rewrites again on the on the movie and sort of take it from the much more action oriented Tom Cruise version uh to to it's still an action movie, but it's a little more of a comedy, a little more of a of a of a character story and and, and you know more uh, more of an amblin tone to it. You know, there there is definitely a kind of kids adventure tone to it. Um yeah. you know, somewhere between E. T. and Stranger Things and and you know, that kind of tone. And, and I'm actually, I'm really excited about it because I've never really given up on this script. And, um, you know, the infusion of, of Ryan Reynolds and the director, Sean Levy, just like really landed the tone. And now we know exactly what the movie is. And, and I'm very excited to see how they make it. And over, overall, it's Ryan meets the younger, Ryan Reynolds and younger Ryan Reynolds. Kind of yeah, the, the, the premise is basically that, the, you know, a, a young kid, finds Ryan Reynolds hiding in his garage and it turns out it's him from the future and they have to go on and save the world because of a whole bunch of things, but they just don't really like each other very much. <laughs> that's, we go from there. Yeah. Yes. Um, and in terms of C, so you said you weren't really too involved there in season one, so you're coming in really to run the show in season two. So where did, yeah. you know, where creatively did you and, and or Apple want to take C, you know, in terms of fans of uh, season one of C, where can, uh, where's season two going to go? Um, I mean, we're very faithful to season to, to the mythology laid out in season one. But what we're doing in season two is we're just taking you to uh, to different parts of the world. Um, season one was largely in the mountains and in the forests. And this is 500 years in the future. And the human race has been blind for about 500 years. So society has been built up differently in different places. And so my goal in season two was to come down from the mountains and see what things are like in the, in the settings that used to be more urban. Um, so, you know, slightly larger, I wouldn't call them cities exactly, but, you know, certainly start, you know, I guess we can call them cities, but slightly larger cities, some stuff really built into the ruins of old cities and, and larger conflicts and, and a little more population. Um, but it, you know, C is really a family story. It's about, uh, this man, Baba Boss, who spent his life protecting these, these two, his children, these two, these two teenagers now who are the only two people in the world who can see. And they've become a, a target and they've become a source of, of a lot of uh, religious and political angst in the world. And, and it's just about uh, this, this warrior with a complicated past trying to protect these two, his two children at any cost. And has it been, is there any, any difference working in a streaming, you know, for a streaming service doing a show for Apple versus you've done, you know, Cinemax, HBO network stuff, before, you know, for? Not only is there no difference, but um, <laughs> even, though, even, though, even though the budget on this show dwarfs my Cinemax budget, you would never know it on a day-to-day basis. We're still having the same cost issues, budget issues. You know, it doesn't matter whether you have a hundred million or forty million dollars. You're still going to butt up against your budget limitations, and you're still going to have to figure out how to do it better, and how to do it more efficiently, and how to how to cut those scripts down to make your budget. So, in that sense, uh, you know, what the first time we got the note that we had to bring our our scripts into line a little bit, I was like, you know, that's my skill set, man. I come from Cinemax. Like, you hired the right guy. Yes. <laughs> You need to know how to do that really well and really cheap. I'm your guy. 
<laughs> Luckily, we don't have to do it. I should say we're not doing it really cheap. There's a really healthy budget on this show, but at the same time, yeah. you know, we have to be very financially responsible. And I've learned that no matter what budget you give me, I'm going to find a way to break it. So it's just, <laughs> it's now about trying to bring it into line a little bit. Yeah. yeah. When you look back at Banshee now, you kind of marveled at the things that you know, we were able to, you were able to pull off. Uh, you know, yeah, I mean, or, I, that to me, I, I credit Greg Utanis with all of that because yeah, when, I, I mean, when I started Banshee, I didn't know anything about TV production. And even as I learned about TV production, I never had the balls to try to pull off the stuff he was willing to try to pull off at that price. I, I think Banshee spurred a lot of new kinds of shows after Banshee. But the thing that I think no one studied and they ought to have studies is just the way Greg managed to pull off, you know, a show that looked like it had twice the budget we had every week. Yeah. And yeah. It, it, it's a combination of, uh, he's kind of like a pirate. He just sort of wades in and <laughs> we would often have these conversations where I'd call him up and I'd be working on the scripts and I'd say, I was going to write this thing, but like, we can't really do that. Right. And he'd say, just write it just write it. Don't worry about whether we can do it or not. Just write it. And the next thing you know, he's talked South Carolina into shutting down 14 miles of highway and we're, we're shooting a heist on a moving truck on a highway. Like he, he's very good at that. So yeah. you know, the biggest thing I learned from him is to just never, never limit your writing until you're absolutely forced to just assume someone's going to figure out how to do what you want. The resourcefulness of a, of a crew is an amazing thing sometimes. So, yeah. Yeah. So with Warrior now, it's gonna—it's just gonna be a, you know a two-season endeavor uh, at this point. Um, at this point, which we're all kind of bummed about. Like we've all the cast and I have all been talking because we really ended the show not on a resolved note. Uh, you know, because we were <laughs> when we finished sh shooting season two, we were we were sure we were coming back. We had no idea that they were gonna stop Cinemax from making television, and so we—it's yeah. really the Empire Strikes Back. I mean, you know, we ended the show <laughs> smack in the middle of a conflict, and and it's gonna be you know. It, it's a satisfying ending in that it comes on the heels of a very major climax that you spend the whole season waiting for. But at the yeah. same time, it, it's definitely setting up season three. And uh, so yeah, it yeah. is my hope that, you know, at some point within a few years, we find a way to go back and make a season three. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, with every passing uh, year, it gets a little trickier. You know, true, Andrew, true. Andrew Koji, our lead actor, is becoming, you know, a big star now. You know, he's. Making that movie with Brad Pitt now, Bullet Train. He's Bullet Train, yeah. Finished, finished that Snake Eyes movie, like you know, you know he he's dying to do it. I think he would drop a lot to do it. Like you know, he just you know he just dropped me a note the other day saying this is what we got to do. But you know, <laughs> someone's got to pay for it. So we'll just tell him go go become the biggest star in the world, just, and then just, they'll have exactly to do it. just go go get some clout and become more expensive, and we'll go do it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they did, uh, what, Deadwood, you know, 10, 15 years later. I think there's a the movie, maybe. You never know, right? Yeah, something like that. It'd be nice. It, it'd be nice if we get some good viewership on HBO or HBO Max that they just let us do, like, a four-hour finale yeah. type thing. That would be cool. Yeah. Um, so season one is available on HBO to watch? or what, just so No, not out. yet. It, uh, not everything yet. Okay. Is, right now, everything is only available where it's been, which is on, on Cinemax. And um, what I believe is going to happen is after, after season two has aired on Cinemax, both seasons will become available on all the HBO platforms Great. Um, and Great. Cinemax. And what I always told my friends to do who didn't have Cinemax when my shows would come on, whether it was Banshee or Warrior, I'd say, subscribe for three months, watch all 10 episodes, 
And while you're at it, you have it for three months. Watch Banshee, watch Strike Back, watch The Nick. You'll discover some other shows. But I think Warrior is really a special show. And even though, even though I created it and we planned it before the current administration was in power, never envisioning the current administration would ever be in power, um, yeah. the show has become incredibly relevant. And, um, but in a way that's not preachy. It's still sort of a fun, pulpy no. action show. But all the deeper um, emotional and social issues are, are exactly what this country is going through today. So it also just adds a layer, I don't want to say layer of tension, but it definitely just, you know, it just adds another, when the action does happen, it's even more driven because it's not just like a random, you know, thing in a, a random fighter kind of thing. A lot yeah. of it's really just based on that, all those tensions that you feel in society bubble up in these moments that kind of really take off. Yeah, I mean, one of the things we're really careful about also is like, we're going to be called a martial arts show. There's no way we're not going to be called a martial arts show. I mean, we are a martial arts show, but really what we are is a drama that happens to be built around the martial arts show. And we don't have gratuitous fights. It's not the kind of thing where, you know, everywhere, everywhere this guy goes, there's going to be a set piece. Every fight, first of all, the fights are in all martial arts fights. And I was really clear when we started this thing, every Chinese guy on the show doesn't know martial arts. Right. And, <laughs> right. And, and so, but what it is, is it's, it's a violent show because we're, we're living in violent streets during violent times. So whether that violence is, is in the form of two cops beating up a Chinese, a Chinese worker or laborer, or whether it's, it's the Irish guys going after the Chinese or the Irish guys going after each other, there's a level of violence in the streets that, that we are, we're portraying, but it's not, it's always earned and it's always about story, which is also why our actors do all their own fights because, I mean, we use stunt people where we don't want them, where they might get hurt, but because sure. the fights are part of the performance. And, and to me, like part of this character is their fight. So the, the fights are very organic and, and they're not fancy crouching tiger, hidden dragon fights. They're very brutal, nasty, break your hands fights. And, and that's, yeah. You know, so I, I think if, if you're a fan of that kind of action, it's a deeply satisfying show. So, so how's Canada? So is it feeling all right? It, it, I got to tell you something. It is kind of nice to not be in the United States for a little while and just take a little mental breath from, from all that stuff going right. on there. It's, uh, the U.S. is just, it's tough right now. So it's, yeah. ni- it's nice to be here. And it's also just like, it's exciting to see production starting up again, even though even though the way our... I'm sure everyone who's in production now, like the restrictions and the the precautions are sort of dominate your life. Um, yeah. But at the same time, even if six of us are in a conference room built for 20 and we're wearing masks while we're having our meeting, you're still having the same meeting you would have had before the pandemic. And there's something really satisfying about the fact that life will go on, work will go on and the show must go on. And, you know, yeah. everyone's running out of material because everyone has watched everything on every platform now. So <laughs> the need for new material is strong. And, and so we're the studios and the streamers, they'll, they'll really pay a premium to make sure that, that the content keeps getting made. So it's, it's a, uh, it's a good time to, uh, to be getting back to work, I think. So, and, I think and, and, and by the way, the, the premise of C is that a, a virus spread in the 21st century that knocked out 90% of the population. And, you know, those who were left uh, were rendered blind. But, uh, you know, it is it is a show about the aftermath of a virus. It's very relevant. Makes you feel a little bit about, better about what we're, <laughs> what we're living in. Yeah. Still have your eyesight. Yeah. Yes. 
you might lose your sense of taste, but you'll be able to see. So yeah, exactly, yes. exactly. Jonathan's been great catching up. Thanks for taking too, the time. Sean. Thanks for having me on this podcast. It's exciting. Yeah, I really appreciate it. So uh, all best up in Canada, and uh, come back whenever you're ready. But I will talk to you soon. <laughs> Thanks again to Jonathan for somehow making the time to chat. Always good to catch up. Season 2 of Warrior airs Friday nights at 10pm on Cinemax. And now a look at the things to put on your radar for the week ahead. Joe Biden is doing a town hall on NBC with Lester Holt on Monday night. That just got a a lot more interesting. Same goes for the VP debate on Tuesday night. The NBA Finals has their Game 4 on Tuesday as well. Game 5, if necessary, will be on Friday. And just to spice up the variety, uh, Adam Sandler adds his Halloween movie, Hubie Halloween, to Netflix on Tuesday as well. Seth Meyers drops into prime time on Thursday for a special at 8.30. And Friday, Disney Plus has a high-profile series launch with their 1960s space race show, The Right Stuff. And also on Friday, a new wide-release movie hits theaters. De Niro's uh, family comedy, uh, The War with Grandpa. Although, I've yet to see one advertisement for it, so yeah. And that's a wrap on this one, so uh, definitely hit subscribe to the podcast to get in the know every morning on the Hollywood and media business news to know in just 7 to 10 minutes. I'll see you on Monday. (laughs) 